last week we looked at the look of generosity and Mark preached from 2 Corinthians uh, 8 verses 1 to 7. And here we saw the Macedonian church, an extremely generous church, who actually pleaded with Paul to have the ability to give to the church in Jerusalem who was struggling. It's an amazing story how they, they plead with Paul, please can we have an opportunity to give? And Mark preached and we saw how it was the grace of the Lord which led to joy and overflowing an abundance of joy which led them to want to give sacrificially to the church in Jerusalem. And today we're looking at the, the, the motivation of giving and we're seeing how Paul tries to motivate the church of Corinth to give. What's interesting is originally the Corinthians church, which inspired the Macedonian church to give. They had pledged to give a generous sum and they'd even given something. And out of this, this place where the Corinthian church was at, that the, it was the Macedonian church who wanted to give as well. So this morning we're looking at the motivation, the motivation. What can we, how can we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, be motivated to give? to be motivated to be generous people, God's generous people. So let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be reading from um, verses 8 to 15. I'm reading from the NIV. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 to 15, starting from verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. I'll be honest, when I first engaged with this, this passage, I got Paul the salesman icky vibes. <laughs> it's like, I'm not commanding you, but I kind of am a little bit commanding you. And I had to wrestle with this text because I'm like, this just makes me feel icky. Like the, the way he's talking to the church, the way he's, you know, those pop-up store guys in the middle of the shops. They're usually just, they're right outside the entrance to where you need to go. And sometimes you can't avoid them. You don't try to give the eye contact because, you know, as soon as you do, their eyes will lure you in. And they say, how's the weather out there? Or how are you doing today? Like they actually really care about how you're doing. And the friendly people find this extremely hard because you feel like you're being rude. You feel like you're rejecting them and like, oh, what if I ruin their day? even though they've done it thousands of times before. Any people who are like really kind and find that really difficult? Yeah. <laughs> Any people who are just brutal? <laughs> <laughs> At least you guys are honest. 
And I felt a little bit like this about Paul. It just, it just irked me a little bit. I found it difficult to, to read this passage. I'm like, how am I going to speak about this? I just don't like the way he's talking to the Corinthian church here. And we need to read this within context. We need to, to clarify what's happening here because it will help us engage with the text a little bit more. Two things is that we can't disconnect Paul and his theology of giving and his relationship with this church. Paul knows what's best for this church. And we see that in verse 10. It says here, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Paul knows the joy that comes with giving. Paul knows how, it's, how the, the Macedonian church had been so richly blessed by their giving. Paul knows how this is just going to be a fantastic thing. For them. And he loves the church so much. He wants them to experience the joy that giving gives. And over in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He's, he's lived this out. He's, he's seen the results of what giving, being a generous person can do for you, the blessing that you can receive by being a generous person. And Paul wants this with all of his heart for the Corinthian church. He wants them to experience this. The other thing that can help shape us, our lens and how we view this passage, is that we need to understand that I read this passage with a largely Western individualistic mindset. I read it for like, what's mine is mine. It's my money. It's my hard-earned money. I get to do whatever I want to do with it, and no one can tell me what to do with it. I mean, I've worked hard for it. It's my money. We're very individualistic, very independent we see that the New Testament vision of the church isn't like that. Paul in Corinthians paints this beautiful vision for what the church is. It's a family. We're brothers and sisters adopted by our God. And he is our father in heaven. This familial language, family language. We're so intertwined as a family. We can't disconnect what Paul is saying here to them about giving. We also know that we're the body of Christ, where we're, we're interconnected, where Christ is the head of the body. There's, there's not a, a New Testament vision of the church where we're all separatists doing our own thing. Paul's communicating here, as, as we, we see what he says about giving here, we see that it's a, we're a connected thing. If someone in the body is hurting, if, some, if someone's hurt, if, if, if there's another member of our family, just think if there's a member of your immediate family who's really struggling, who's really hurting, Paul says, you wouldn't be able to deny them in giving. We're connected. Therefore, if, if a brother or sister in your church is struggling, the church of Jerusalem is, is in, in this intense time where they're suffering, they're our family. We're connected. We're not independent of them. We're part of God's family. I grew up, a lot of you will know that I grew up in Papua New Guinea, and um, they're a very collectivist society. So individualist, you know, if you're over here, you're very, you know, you're very, I guess, immediate family driven. You just, you, you, you care for your little group. Collectivist, the culture cares for one another. 
They have a different view of possessions, a different view of time, a different view of money. And we'd give a gift to someone in need um, in, in Papua New Guinea, whether that, you know, clothing or some food. We'd give it to an individual person. And then a week later, you'd see someone else wearing that piece of clothing because they would decide who needed it most. Not us. They would decide where the need was most. And they'd also decide based on, you know, their pecking order as well. It's funny, you'd give a shirt to a young boy who needed a shirt because they're wearing, you know, their shirts rat ratted and tattered. And then you see this old guy end up wearing the shirt a week later. And then the week after, someone else is. And it's just like this, this idea of the collective. We're, we're a community that cares for one another. And this is the vision that we need to, when we're seeing Paul talk to this church, we, we need to see it through a different lens. We need to see it through the lens that the, the New Testament vision for the church is this intertwined family type thing. But also, we can't disconnect Paul and his love for this church. That he's their apostle, that he loves them, he wants what's best for this church. He wants, he's got a relationship with this church. He's very connected. Gives me a bit of a, when I was um, reading this, it, it, it sent me back to Acts chapter 2, where after Pentecost, the church lived in deep community. It says in verses 44 uh, to 47, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It is with this sentiment that Paul is motivating the Corinthian church to give. So in this passage, I, I kind of as I looked at it, there's three primary motivations, that, the three primary ways that Paul tries to motivate the church. And the first is that we see here that we can be motivated towards generous, uh, a generous heart, radical generosity, because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our primary and key motivation that pushes us towards generosity. So let's look at verses um, 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9 says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. This is the foundational motivation for how we can even begin to think about being generous people to be sacrificially generous with our lives and also our finances because we know that we have been given everything in Christ. We have been given generous things from our heavenly Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Theologians call it the great exchange, that Christ took on our poverty so that we might become rich. How amazing is that? When we understand and we preach the gospel to our hearts and we understand the implications of what it means to be given what God has given us, it will radically transform the way that we see money. It will radically transform the way that we see our time and help us to be people who are so generous with all of those things. 
we see that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ transformed the Macedonians by giving them abundant, overflowing joy, which led towards generosity. And this is possible for us too. We have access to this kind of joy too. And we all have all felt those feelings when we're generous. How amazing that, that, that is, the joy that we can get from that. So how can we be motivated by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ but by preaching the gospel of grace? And I don't know about you, but I need the gospel of grace daily. I need to re-preach it to my heart, retrain my heart to be seeing what Christ has truly done for me. I also need to remember the grace, the small graces, those small gifts, and be grateful for those things as well. Because our Heavenly Father, He is a good gift giver. And I think, you know, the Western mindset, individualist mindset comes in here as well because we're always looking to more. We're always looking for what's next. We're always moving so quickly. We don't have a moment to stop in our present moment and be thankful for what we have. But we have been given so many little things too. And we're not even thinking about the, the grace that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. We get so many smaller good gifts the person sitting next to you, our kids, our cars, the fact that we get to live in Australia. God, our heavenly father is a good gift giver. Let's look at Luke 11 verses 9 to 13. It says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm not a perfect father. You might be shocked me saying that. But I'll be honest, I'm not the best gift giver either to my children. I like to think I am, but I, you know, I've given some, some poor gifts. You know, when you, you assume or you think you're going to give them something amazing and then they open it and your face tells you immediately how you missed the mark in that way. But you might be surprised also that I'd never wrap up a snake or a scorpion and give it to my kids as a present. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. I, I love, I've got this, this heart, even though I'm fallen, I've got this heart to give my kids good things, good gifts. I think sometimes we, we can just, because of the trauma in life, the hardships in life, and we know that God's sovereign, he's in control of that, we can sometimes think, mm, I'm not sure if God's that good of a gift giver. Because if he, if he did, why didn't he give me this? Why, why, why did he allow that to happen? Our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us even when we don't think he does he knows what a good gift is and sometimes we'll ask for something right we'll say oh i'd really god i really you know i'm asking i'm seeking you about this i think this is a good thing and it doesn't happen he doesn't grant he doesn't say yes we think oh, not he's not a good gift giver but maybe that the, it's actually a gift that he didn't give us that thing because we just didn't know a heavenly father is a good gift giver and he wants good things for us, but he sees it from 
a sovereign or powerful perspective, that we don't have the, the, that kind of perspective. We don't have that kind of bird's eye view, and it takes trust to accept that. But our, our God is a good gift giver. Um, not long ago, Trudy and I were thinking, we'd, we'd really, like I just had in my heart that we'd really love to go to the Big Four Caloundra for just some time away. Some of you, I might have told you this story. And we just felt like we weren't really, you know, we hadn't budgeted or saved up for the holiday yet. We weren't quite there yet. But I just had in my heart, I'd really like to go to the Big Four Caloundra soon, just for a weekend away. So I thought, you know, God's a good gift giver. Lord, can you, can you grant that? You know, I've just prayed, sought him in simple faith, asked, asked God if that would be a possibility. It was like a week or two later, some really good friends of ours had booked in a weekend away at the Big Four Caloundra for them and their parents, two units. Their parents couldn't make it. So they said, do you guys want to go away for a weekend to the Big Four Caloundra? How amazing is that? I think we sometimes think so big, but this God cares so deeply for our simple needs. He is a heavenly father that cares so much and he's a giver of good gifts. And like I could spend time here talking about all the different good things that God's given me. And I'm sure that you've got a list as well. But we can forget those things. We can forget how good God is. And it helps us to be reminded of God's grace because it shapes our hearts. It shapes our ability to be generous people. The second way that Paul tries to motivate this Corinthian church towards generosity is that he, he calls them to integrity according to their means. Let me say that again. He calls them to be people of integrity, people of their word, according to their means. Let's look at verses 10 to 12 here. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it might, may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So the Corinthian church had pledged, they've promised a generous give, gift, they've given something, but the time's coming around now where, you know, that eager willingness that they originally had, that desire to be generous that they uh, originally had, it's time to act on it. It's time to actually show up for it. They had this willingness, but it was time to actually follow through with it. And we see here that Thinking or of thinking that we're generous or feeling like we have generous hearts or loving hearts or we, even if we have this eager willingness to do that, it's not the same of actually following through. It's not, the, it's not the same of actually doing it. And Paul says, be people of your promise. Follow through. Actually do what you're going to say you do because you, you having this desire last year means squat for the Jerusalem church in the future. You can have it, and we, I think we like to think of ourselves as generous people, but when we look at the numbers, they will, they will tell us, are we actually generous people? Are we actually following through with our generosity? Are we actually doing it? 
We say, I'm super keen to give in the future. God, you know, when, when financially I'm feeling a little bit more secure, or I feel like I've got it together, I'll give then. When, when, when I sort out my, my finances, I'll give then. Or when you, you provide a little bit more for me, when you give me a little bit more, God, well, we can be manipulative on oh, God, hey, when you, when you bless me abundantly, then I'll give. No, that's not how it works. And we're released here as well. We're motivated towards generosity here as well because he says, according to your means. He doesn't crush us under this weight. It's according to our means. And we can all be generous according to our means, according to what we can do. And right here, I'm brought back to that boy who provides the two fish and the five loaves. He gives what he has and it's, it's, it's nothing. It's hardly anything, not nearly enough. But it's what he could do. It's what he could give. And he gave sacrificially. And Jesus multiplied it. Reminded of who God is and what he can do with our simple generosity. And sometimes, you know, you won't give because, oh, 10 bucks. That's all I can afford. That's going to make, you know, that's not going to make any difference. I'll do it later on when I've got, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. I'll do it later on when I have more capacity to give. But we forget the God that we worship, who can take that small and multiply it. We give according to what we can give, and he can do something amazing with it. And he can bless people. Because it's not so much about what we can give, it's about what God can do. What a, what a blessing that is, that we get to partner with God. Not only with our small provisions financially, he's the God of the universe, he owns it all with our small talents, our small capacity, we have such little to offer. What an amazing blessing is that we get to partner with him at all. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it might be matched with your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And lastly, Paul motivates the church to give generously by giving them a vision for equality. The vision he paints here is one of equality. Verse 13 to 15. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Here Paul envisions a future possibility where the Corinthian church has needs as well, where the Corinthian church is in need of someone else supporting them, where, where they, they don't have it all together. We get this picture of, of family as if the church is like our insurance. Our church is the thing that is our safeguard. It's our, our network that helps us through life. And when, you're, when you have this abundance, when you have this blessing, that the goal of using that is to bless other people, to help our church family. It's not to hoard and stockpile so that we can be good. And even though that's what the, the, the cultural message is, hey, the cultural narrative is, is you know, you know, we, we, we believe, we, we, the story here is that God is our security. God is our fortress. 
But like hard times really teach us that lesson of truth, hey. But deep down, I like the security of having that extra bit of money in my savings account just in case. Our just in case is our money, right? I'm not saying that savings is a bad thing. We need, we need to be wise with our savings. But we're wise with our savings so that we can bless out of the abundance of what God has given us. So we can help people. So we can help our family with this vision of equality. Because one day we're going to need help too. And that's not just money. That's our capacity as well. Maybe you're feeling emotionally strong. And you're ready to give out. You're ready to help other people. Out of that emotionally strong place, you have the capacity to be generous with those who are hurting. Because when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. This is what we learn. This is what Corinthians says, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're an interconnected family. We feel one another's pain. And we know this when you stub your little toe, right? You stub your little toe hard. You can't do anything else but think about that stub toe, right? The whole world knows about that stub toe. You can't avoid it. And at the moment, that church in Jerusalem is a stub toe. And the Macedonians, although they're struggling, they're connected to their family. They've got a little bit of something and they want to give out. They want to help because they're connected. We have this vision for equality. We realize that it's out of our abundance of what God has given us that we can be a blessing and we can bless out of the abundance. And we, we know full well that there's going to be a time in our life we're not going to have it all together. There's going to be time in our life when we're going to need that family insurance, the church. We're going to need our brothers and sisters to support us, to help us through that time of trial, that time of need. And that takes humility, right? <laughs> That's a humbling thing. It's a humbling thing. Paul motivates us with this vision of equality. And then he ends in verse 15, this passage. And he's actually quoting Exodus 16. I'm going to read Exodus 16, verses 17 to 18. It says, Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Paul transports this church back to a time when the Israelites were in the wilderness. There was nothing there. It was dirt and dust and struggle and need. A time when they needed the grace of God to provide them. And what does he do? He shows up supernaturally. He provides them with manna and quail. It's out of the grace of God that God's generosity to these Israelites, they're reminded of this story where God provided when there was nothing. In the absolute struggle and need, God was there. God is our ultimate security. He's our ultimate provider. And they weren't to hoard, were they? 
God would daily provide them with what they needed. They weren't to hoard and, and build up the, the manna or the quail. They weren't to save it. They'd daily wait for it. We're reminded here of our God, a God who provides abundance. Everyone had what they needed. Everyone got what they needed. Ultimately, here we're reminded that God is our provider. He's our provider of our needs, and He is a generous, gracious God. We must daily trust Him. Give us today our daily bread. Help us. I hope you this morning have been motivated towards generosity in some way, like I have when I've engaged with this passage. Maybe your first step towards generosity leaving this morning is to be preaching the gospel of grace to your heart. Maybe you need that afresh. Maybe you need to just bask in the generosity of our gracious, loving Savior and what he has done. Maybe that will motivate you towards generosity. Maybe it's time to remind yourself of the good things that you have. It's from a place of gratitude and thankfulness for what we have that we'll be happier people, that we'll be more giving people. Maybe write a list of the good things in your life or the stories where God has provided supernaturally for you. Those small ones are the most powerful sometimes. And I think we forget them all too easily. But but maybe this morning, God's calling you to be a person of your word, a person of integrity. And when when we sign up to be followers of Christ, we sign up to, to take up our cross and follow him. There's a sacrificial element of it. When we sign up, and we, we enjoy the grace of God, we realize that we're people who are acting out that grace as well. We're people who are acting out that generosity to the people around us. And maybe that call to integrity for you is, is something that you need to hear this morning. That as people of grace, we will be people of grace, people of generosity, but be released that is according to our means. That God can take the little that we've got to give and he can do something amazing with it. Maybe you just need to hear that within our church family, within the church, that is our insurance as well. God is empowering us to help one another. Where God in the desert provided manna, God has empowered the church us to be people who provide for our family. Maybe maybe you need that provision and you need to say, God, I need that provision. I need some blessing. I need some, I'm hurting. I need some, someone to help. Maybe asking someone in the church family to help and enjoying that blessing that someone has to give you. Or maybe you have an abundance and God's calling you this morning to bless someone in that abundance. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's only from the grace that you've given us that we might be motivated towards generosity. We can't muster up our own strength to be generous people. Lord, help us to preach that that gospel of grace to our own hearts. Lord, we need that daily. And Lord, we live in a time, as Mark shared last week, there's so much fear around money. I know I've personally struggled with that as well. There's so much fear in our life. 
in our world with all the things that are going on. Lord, and that, that leads me towards hoarding and stockpiling in my own strength rather than thinking, what can I give and how can I trust you more? Lord, we want, we want to be motivated towards generosity. We want to be generous people. Help us to learn this. Be a kind, wise teacher of us. Help us to grow in this. Lord, thank you that you can take what small we have and you can do something amazing with it. And we humbly give those small things to you, knowing that you'll, you'll do your amazing thing because you can always take small and you can make it amazing. Lord Jesus, thank you for this hard passage, but we need to hear it. I need to hear it. Help us to be motivated towards being generous people. In Jesus' name, amen.